everyone welcome back to christ is the cure today we are wrapping up the historical existence of jesus this is part three and we're actually going to backtrack today we're going to talk about uh the great myth of myths one second here um and well we'll just jump right into it so we've talked about the evidence outside of the new testament for the existence of jesus and how uh, there's really no reason to doubt Jesus' existence on those grounds. And then we talked about the the historical reliability of the Gospels, minimally for historical details, which uh, there should be something noted here, is that there are secular historians who see the value of the historicity of the Gospels, but of course reject things like miracles and uh, claims of deity and things of that nature. Uh, so basically the picture is the the history is the grounds and valid for all the myths that came after. And so it's saying the historical Jesus can sometimes act as a different version of Jesus stripped of all of his um, supernatural, um, I don't know the correct word, I don't want to say powers, that sounds weird. But you know what I mean. Uh, and so this really is like, I remember watching, I think it was Killing Jesus by Bill O'Reilly. And his goal was to present the historical Jesus. But then it ended up being almost like adoptionism, where Jesus is learning who he is as the son of God. So it still retains some theology, or at least presents him as a man who thought he was the Son of God. I don't know. It was weird, but that's kind of what you see. You have this idea of um, people who make a distinction between the historical Jesus and the Jesus of the Gospels. And Bart Ehrman's one of those individuals who will say in his book that we've quoted so far that there's a difference between Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and Jesus that Christians believe in. Um, so that that's just worth noting. Whenever we get into these discussions, but today we're going to talk about um, a myth that Jesus is a copycat or myth based on other deities. Now, with the previous two episodes, we can already kind of say, "Well, that's nonsense," obviously, um, because he was a real historical person, and most of these myths are attributed to liberal scholars. But I actually believe that the the original idea can be traced back to the famous work of Alexander Hislop uh, and the two Babylons uh, because it was produced during the Reformation. Uh, he was trying to combat Roman Catholicism, but he really just started mixing and matching different deities and saying that the way that Roman Catholicism worshipped Jesus was the same as worshipping Mithras and Horus and Osiris and Dionysus and all that. Um, so he didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was a copycat, but he did set some ground for conflating a bunch of deities and propagating the myths that closely correlates Jesus to these other deities. Um, but really, the movie Zeitgeist is a big one, um, and The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown is another big one. And then there's a movie by Religulus, um, and it's basically 
these types of claims. That that's really one of the thrusts in them. And what you find is that often the the claims center around uh, Egyptian deities such as Horus and Osiris. But of course, it doesn't stop there. Uh, in fact, if you want to watch an interesting video, it's by a YouTube channel called Lutheran Satire. If you haven't heard of it before, it's very entertaining. But they have one called Horus Ruins Christmas, and it's a parody of this myth, uh, which is fantastic. But let's summarize the claims from, we're going to just quote Religulous. Um, I can't remember. It's by Lionsgate. It was put out in 2008. But the quote is, Written in 1280 BC, the Book of the Dead describes a god, Horus. Horus is the son of God, Osiris, born to a virgin mother. He was baptized in a river by Enup the Baptizer, who was later beheaded. Like Jesus, Horus was tempted while alone in the desert. Um, he healed the sick, the blind, cast out demons, and walked on water. He raised Asar from the dead. Asar translates to Lazarus. Oh yeah, he also had 12 disciples. Yes, Horus was crucified first, and after three days, two women announced Horus, the savior of humanity who had been resurrected. So the, the parallels between Horus and Jesus here will be striking if you take them at what they are. I mean, the former predates Jesus, so the question is, is it true, and is Jesus just a copycat of this myth? But not only that, but the claim goes beyond that. I mean, um, there's other claims about Horus that... Horus's mother name was Mary, M-E-R-I, and that there was a stepfather named Seb, and that uh, Horus was allegedly born in a cave, which his birth was announced by angels, and he had a star and shepherds, like the birth narrative of Jesus, and so on and so on. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna discuss Horus and Osiris in particular. We're gonna focus in on these with general principles about these types of claims because you can't cover them all in this format without taking forever, and I'm not going to do that. If you want a resource that discusses these a little bit more in detail, um, Person of Interest by Jay Winner Wallace, or even on his website, Cold Case Christianity, discusses the copycat myths quite a bit, I believe. I believe it's chapter three in Person of Interest where he discusses it. But so let, let's talk about principles to consider before we discuss Horus and Osiris. So before going into each claim... Let's pretend that the claims are valid and discuss some principles that should be remembered whenever we're looking at these types of claims. First, similarities or parallels in themselves should not surprise us as Christians, nor do they prove the concept of Christianity copying other religions. The reality is that ancient deities have supernatural births, powers, lives, and followers, and there's nothing remarkable about that or unexpected for a deity or god. As far back as those within the Old Testament era, uh, these constructions of other deities simply reflect what we would call expectations of a deity, what a deity would look like, and how deities would solve humanity's problems and yearnings for connection to the supernatural. So there should be no surprise in super, superficial connections. Uh, and that's really the big distinction. They're superficially alike, but fundamentally different. And this really can be exemplified when we compare say, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Superficially, these are the same. In fact, uh, that, that happens a lot. They'll, they'll be conflated as if they're fundamentally the same, but they're foundationally and fundamentally different on key points, such as Jesus as Messiah and Son of God and the second person of the Triune Godhead. 
that clearly distinguishes Christianity from Judaism and Islam. And Islam and Judaism obviously depart um, as well. Um, another principle that we should remember is simple. Uh, Jesus is a historical figure. Uh, so this is important because those other deities are myths. Uh, while Jesus is rooted in history, this is a very important dividing line. These myths claim to do these miraculous things, while Jesus did so in history with witnesses. And that's, of course, presupposing the overall reliability of the Gospels. But even on the bare bones of that, there is a distinction between Horus and Osiris and Jesus, who lived and had sources writing about him and who had witnesses and so on and so forth. And finally, a last um, point is that pagan cultures were known for blending, adopting, and assimilating other religions, uh, while Jews generally were not. Jews did get into Jewish mysticism and syncretism in terms of um, magic and relics and things like that, especially post uh, the destruction of the temple in AD 70. But this was especially around ideas or concepts but when we look at pagans, we find gods and means of worship crossing into different cultures, being absorbed, condensed, etc. And you can see that with uh, just looking at uh, Greco-Roman history and their deities and how you have um, Zeus becoming Jupiter or you have Hades becoming Pluto and how the Romans adopt those deities and just change them up a little bit uh, to better fit uh, their own desires. And you can also take, for example, Horus himself. Um, Horus is thought to have become the god Apollo for the Greeks. And this is important because it would seem more likely for pagan cults to mix and match Christian elements into their views than the other way around. And we talked about this before. Um, so these principles are really crucial to navigating these topics. But regardless, whenever we look into these various claims of Jesus and Christians copycatting these deities... Uh, we find that the evidence is severely lacking. In fact, instead of there being evidence that Jesus is a copy of Horus, we find that Horus and other deities are just bent to sound like Jesus whenever the source material doesn't sound like Jesus to begin with. Also, I, I think that Bart Ehrman in his book, Did Jesus Really Exist, also talks about this myth um, of copycat ideas. But I, I can't remember what he says in particular. So let's talk about Horus. Who is Horus? Horus was an important deity in Egypt, um, depicted with a falcon head and a double crown. The pharaohs of Egypt were associated with Horus because the pharaoh was considered the embodiment of God. Initially, Horus was noted to be the god of war and the sky and married to Hathor. Later, Horus would be said to be the son of Osiris and Isis. At least, uh, that's how some summarize Horus. Horus. So problematic is that there are several figures named Horus and each would have their own cult and mythology. And then they would be eventually merged and absorbed by Horus um, Behadet. I think that's how you say it. So Joshua Mark in uh, the World History Encyclopedia on Horus, uh, you can access it for free at worldhistory.org on Horus. Joshua Mark states, that the name Horus will usually be found to designate either the older god of the first five or the son of Isis and Osiris, who defeated his uncle Set and restored order to the land. So with that said, much of our interest lies 
and the myth linked to Osiris as it pertains specifically to the birth of the younger Horus. So after Osiris, the, the father of Horus, died, Isis, the mother of Horus, sought the body of Osiris to revive him. But because he lacked his male genitalia, he was not whole, and so he could not rule the land. So before Osiris went into the underworld, Isis transformed herself into a falcon. She formed male genitalia for Osiris, flew around it or hovered around it to draw in his seed, and then she became pregnant. So one could say, and of course, the pregnancy was Horus. So one could say that Isis was a virgin and that Horus was conceived of a virgin, but the distinction is pretty evident when we consider the biblical narrative. Horus is still conceived by the seed of his father, uh, and the emphasis is on Jesus not being conceived of a male human seed, and you see that in Luke 1, 26-38. So there's key differences here. Yeah, you can technically say... Uh, that Horus was conceived of a virgin, but it's a little bit of a stretch if you're saying that Jesus copied the Horus account. Um, but there's also other issues where they're compared. Um, so, for example, Jesus' birth location and the virgin birth were predicted long before the birth itself, which automatically places him at odds with Horus in terms of being a copycat. But also, uh, we do not find Isis ever being called Mary. Because remember, there's this other claim that um, Horace's mother's name is Mary. Nor is Seb, uh, the, the stepfather of Horace, equal to Joseph. But instead, Seb is described as Osiris's father, not Horace's stepfather. So Seb is Horace's grandfather. But what about the claim that Horace was born into a cave with an angel and star and shepherds and kings? Well, we find that Horace was born in a swamp hiding from Seb, his grandfather, and demons, with a group of scorpions as bodyguards supplied by another deity. Uh, this has very little in common with the birth narrative of Jesus. So what about this claim that Horus was baptized by Anup the baptizer, who was also beheaded? Uh, this is really hard to disprove, because there are no accounts of Horus being baptized, or a character named Anup the Baptizer. So, in other words, there is no evidence. It's made up. Uh, more importantly, what about Horus's alleged crucifixion and resurrection? Well, in the accounts of Horus, there are a few different records of how Horus dies, uh, but none of them are by Roman crucifixion. Instead, he is depicted as being cast into water, cut into pieces, uh, and then he's later fished out by Isis' request. Um, but in most accounts, he merges with the sun god and is reborn with the rising sun of each day. So you could say this is a type of resurrection, but it still is a far cry from being the crucifixion resurrection narrative that we find in scripture related to Jesus. Joshua Mark further states that Egyptian religious beliefs would have rejected any such concept as a dead person returning to life on earth, even though Cyrus great God and first king was not allowed to return to his place on earth after death. So resurrection in the sense that we understand it was a foreign or um, unthinkable idea 
and Egyptian mythology. While Joshua Mark does think that the worship of Isis influenced Christianity, particularly related to um, icons in relation to Mary and Alexandria, uh, that's a whole different discussion. He still states that this is not to say that Christianity is simply the Isis cult repackaged, nor that Horus was the prototype for the risen Christ. Um, so keep in mind that Joshua Mark is not a believer, um, as far as I can discern in this article. He's just a historian focused on Egypt and Egyptian mythology, and he critiques Tom Harper's work, uh, which is called The Pagan Christ, and it tries to tie Horus and Jesus together. Uh, but Josh, Joshua Marks says uh, firmly that Tom's most serious offense is the claim that Horus and Jesus share remarkable similarities. So we're going to quote Joshua's um, conclusions on Tom Harper's work. This claim, that is that Horus and Jesus have remarkable similarities, which is quite obviously false for anyone who knows the stories of the two figures has become the best known of the book, of Tom's book. Unfortunately, many readers who do not know the original stories take Harper's claims as legitimate scholarship when they are not. To cite only a few examples... Harper asserts that both Horus and Jesus were born in a cave. This is false. Horus was born in the Delta Swamps and Jesus in a stable. And I just want to step into the quotation here and say that there's good evidence that our picture even of the stable is incorrect. It's likely that Jesus was born in essentially the downstairs of a two-story home where the animals were kept. But anyway, let's let Joshua continue here. Um, the claim that both births were announced by an angel is also false as the concept of the angel as a messenger of God is absent from Egyptian beliefs. The claim that Horus and Jesus were both baptized is false. Baptism was not practiced by Egyptians. Uh, the idea that Horus and Jesus were tempted in the wilderness is false. Horus battled set in many different regions, including the desert, while the gospel stories make it clear that Jesus was tempted in the desert or in the wilderness. Uh, the claim that Horus and Jesus were both visited by three wise men is false. Horus is never visited by a wise men, and even more damaging to Harper's scholarship, there are not references to three wise men in the Bible, which only references wise men who bring three kinds of gifts. Horus and Jesus both raised the dead back to life, which is false. Horus had nothing to do with raising Osiris or anyone from the dead. So if I can summarize uh, myself the claims and what we know about Horus, I would put it this way. Um, the claim that Horus was born of a virgin is debatable. The claim that Horus had 12 disciples. He had between 4 to 20 followers in different accounts. The claim that he was born in a cave. No, he's born in a swamp. The claim that he had a birth announced by an angel. There's no evidence. That he had his birth signaled by a star. There's no evidence. Birth that he met with three kings, as some of the other accounts say. There's no evidence. And Jesus met with magi, not kings. And there's not a specification about how many. Uh, the idea that Horus was the teacher at the age of 12 and baptized, there, there's no evidence. That he was tempted in the desert, we already said he battled in various regions, he wasn't necessarily just tempted. The claim that he died and was raised back to life, there's no evidence. And of course, that he raised other dead back to life, but he had no, no involvement with raising anyone from the dead. And you can say, you can see these kinds of things with other deities. Uh, I'm looking at two charts that I put in my book, Holidays and the Feasts, uh, on Dionysus and Mithras. So looking at Dionysus, 
Uh, the claim is that Dionysus was born of a virgin when Dionysus was actually born of an affair of Zeus. And there's two different versions of the story with two different women. There's a claim that he was born in December 25th, but there's no reference to the 25th. Um, there is a claim that he turned water into wine. Um, but as a wine god, he, he just provided abundant wine. He didn't change water into wine. He is called the Alpha and Omega, allegedly, but there's no source for that. Next, he was allegedly resurrected. Uh, he was ripped apart by titans, and he had his heart put into a different mother, leading to a second birth. I wouldn't really call that resurrection. Uh, and he is allegedly called the King of Kings, uh, and there's no source for this. But Dionysus also wasn't in this position in his polytheistic hierarchy. The King of Kings in Greek uh, mythology would be Zeus. So that doesn't follow. Anyway, um, so what about Mithras? Well, the claim born of a virgin, Mithras is actually born of a rock. Uh, the claim that Mithras was born in December uh, 25th, there's no recorded of a birth date, had 12 disciples. It's not true. Mithras has one to two disciples. The, the claim that Mithras performed miracles, Mithras killed a bull. And even so, performing miracles would not be unlike a deity. The claim that Mithras died for three days, there's no record of being dead for three days. And the claim that Mithras was resurrected on a Sunday, there's no record of a resurrection nor any connection to a Sunday. Um, so ultimately, we find this about all of these types of claims. Um, many of the parallels lack evidence, so they're, they're hard to prove or disprove. Uh, second, parallels that seem to be found are those that are generally connected to what people would expect from deities, such as performing miracles. And third, parallels that are close often are superficially similar, if similar at all, really, rather than fundamentally similar. For example, whenever we look at the birth of Horus or the virgin conception of Horus, uh, I don't even know that you can call that superficially similar. Um, so that's where we're going to land with this episode. So I hope that this three-episode series has been helpful. Um, if you are on iTunes, do me a favor and leave a review. I've been getting a little bit more uh, review bombs lately, it seems like. And of course, Christ of the Cure is subscriber-supported. And so if you enjoy Christ of the Cure, if you've been blessed by Christ of the Cure, if you want to help support Christ of the Cure, please consider becoming a patron um, at patreon.com forward slash Christ is the cure. So that's it for this little mini series. God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Justice and